Um, anybody in the room like me and you love to play practical jokes on people? Anybody? <clears throat> okay. Um, growing up, Growing up and still to this day, I turn 30 next week, right? Like I'm about to be ancient for you guys. Yes. Um, I, I'm, getting, I'm getting really old, falling apart. Um, but even to this day, man, I still love playing pranks and practical jokes. Um, I used to get in trouble by my mom all the time growing up because how I would play practical jokes was this, is I would make up lies, all right? I would make up stories just to go and fool people or to get them to do something I really wanted them to do so that I could laugh at their expense. And and there's a couple of like famous stories that my mom still tells to this day about me. Um, And I've told probably both of these to you before, but I'll just mention them again. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, um, I have a small, uh, not a small, I have a kid brother. He was small at the time, four years younger than me. And uh, we were outside playing one afternoon and, uh, and I found a slug on our driveway, right? Um, you guys know that you can put salt on slugs and they will shrivel up and die a horrible death, right? You guys know this? Okay, if you don't know this, try it next time and you'll thank me. It's awesome. Uh, so I find this slug. I find this slug on the driveway. I go in the house. I get salt. I call my kid brother over. I'm like, John, you have got to check this out, man. So I douse this slug in salt and he starts shriveling up and he's screaming. Uh, no, they don't really scream, but... Uh, he shrivels up and he dies right there on the driveway. So what in my brain I think it would be great to do is to get my brother to taste some of the salt so that if he does, I can tell him he's going to shrivel up and die like the slug on the driveway. So I tell my brother, man, this salt is so awesome. It's good. Look, I'll try some and you try some and he tries some and I get this look of panic on my face and uh, this little kid, I proceed to tell him that he is going to shrivel up and he is going to die and that was the worst decision he ever made. I kid you not, my kid brother, and and I'm not exaggerating this, he ran into the house, flew into my mom's arms, and sobbed for 30 straight minutes without getting a word out of his mouth because he thought he was going to die, okay? I'm in the floor dying laughing. I I got in trouble for that. Um, probably, Probably the one that my mom tells the most about me, um, it, it was a grocery shopping experience. And uh, I'm at Winn-Dixie back in the day with mom and little brother. And, and we're, in the, uh, we're, we're in the aisle where all the freezers are, right? And you guys know the freezers that are on the floor? Well, there were these freezer trays that had been left in one of these open freezers. Well, my favorite Christmas st- movie is A Christmas Story. Okay, so instantly... Instantly, I start racking my brain about how in the world I can get my kid brother, how I can convince him to come and to stick his tongue to this metal freezer tray in Winn-Dixie, okay? So again, I call him over, John, it's going to be fantastic, right? You got to come see this and bro, just lean over and do it. And that didn't work. So I said, okay, I'm going to act like I do it and he'll see me and he won't think it's a big deal. So I said, watch, I'll do it. And I lean over and I get really close to sticking my tongue without doing it. I said, see, man, it's no big deal. Like, just try it, you loser. You don't want to be lame, do you? My kid brother, I mean, he can barely like reach his head over the thing. So he pulls himself up, right? Freezer tray, big freezer tray in front of him. Tongue, just all out of his mouth. And the next thing you know, man, this kid, bam, plops it down. And yes, it sticks very, very well. Well, he panics. He panics. 
And for some reason, his idea was, let me push myself off of here. So with all of his might, he pushes as hard as he can. And most of his tongue ended up back in his mouth. But there, there was still a nice little chunk there on the freezer tray. So my kid brother ended up looking like the kid from the Christmas story, paper towels around crying. And I got in so much trouble for that, man. Um, here's what my mom used to tell me. She, she used to tell me a story. All right. And, and some of you guys know this story, but she used to tell me this story. Every time I do something dumb like this or lie or make up stories just to laugh at people, she would always remind me of that story. The boy who cried wolf, like she called me that boy, James, you are the boy who cried wolf. And there's going to come a day where you're going to need something. You're going to try to tell the truth and no one's going to believe you. Right. Um, in case you don't know this story, let me just read it to you. Okay. Here's story time. Pull a chair up and and listen. Right. Um, here's the story. It says there was once a shepherd boy who was bored as he sat on the hillside watching village sheep. So to amuse himself, he took a great breath and he sang out wolf, wolf, the wolf is chasing the sheep. So the villagers, they came running up the hill to help the boy drive the wolf away. But when they arrived at the top of the hill, they found no wolf. And the boy laughed at the sight of their angry faces. Don't cry wolf, shepherd boy, said the villagers, when there's no wolf. And the people went grumbling back down the hill. Well, later that day, boy was bored again and he sang out, wolf, wolf, the wolf is chasing the sheep. And to his delight, he watched the villagers come running up the hill to help him tra- or chase the, the wolf away. And when they got there, there was no wolf. And they sternly said, save your frightened song for when there's really something wrong. Don't cry wolf when there is no wolf. But the boy just grinned and he watched them go grumbling down the hill once more. Now, here's the interesting part of the story if you've never heard it. Later, the boy saw a real wolf prowling around his flock. Alarmed, he leapt to his feet and he sang out as loudly as he could, wolf, wolf. But the villagers thought he was trying to fool him again and so they didn't come. At sunset, everyone wondered why the shepherd boy hadn't returned to the village with their sheep. So they went up the hill to find the boy and they found him there crying. There really was a wolf here. The flock is scattered. I cried out, wolf, why didn't you come? And the story says this, here's how it ends. An old man tried to comfort the boys. They walked back to the village. We'll help you look for the lost sheep in the morning. He said, putting his arm around the youth. And here's the moral of the story. Here's what the old man tells the boy. Nobody believes a liar, even when he's telling the truth. Nobody believes a liar, even when he's telling the truth. Tonight, In the passage of scripture, we're going to read and talk about, we find Jesus making a very similar point. The point that you're going to see in the passage we're going to talk about tonight, you find Jesus looking at his listeners and going, hey guys, just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Save everybody a lot of hassle and just tell the truth. So let's go Matthew chapter five. We're going to start reading in verse 33. If you didn't have, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along up here on the screens. Let's read this together. This is Jesus talking. He says, again, you've heard it or you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. But I say, do not take an oath at all, even by heaven, or either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king. 
and do not take an oath by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no and anything more than this comes from evil. So for us to truly understand this passage tonight, I want to do what we've done every single week. And I want you to understand what is going on for Jesus to bring this topic up and to teach through this. Here's why Jesus is teaching this, okay? Because during his time, and I think we can identify with this in the culture that we live in, people had a hard time telling the truth, all right? So Jesus is running around in a culture where there are a bunch of people either lying blatantly about stuff or they're kind of telling half truths, you know, which at the end of the day, a half truth is a whole lie. And so Jesus brings this up. Now, here's what would happen back in this time. If a person was lying about something and they wanted to really convince somebody that they were really telling the truth, even though they weren't really telling the truth or were only telling part of the truth, here's what they would do. They would make like a swear statement. They would take an oath. So for us today, it would be like, dude, I swear I did not steal your iPod. Like that's kind of what it would be. So if I really did steal your iPod and I wanted you to believe me, I'd go, Melissa, I swear I didn't steal it, right? And then I'm jamming to, uh, I don't know what I'm jamming to later because I don't know what you listen to, but um, I'm jamming to something awesome because Melissa's awesome. Um, so Jesus, he, he brings this up and, and back in this time, there were several different things and you see him talking about this, that these people would swear by, okay? And, and this is kind of weird, but Jesus says they would swear by heaven. I swear by heaven. I swear by earth. I swear by Jerusalem or I swear by my head. That seems really strange. But again, for us today, this would be like, I swear on my mother's grave, right? That would be like, like a statement like that. Or dude, I swear on my life. I didn't do that. So, so here's what you have people doing. Now, the reason that they use things like that, and it's the same reason that some of us use things like I just explained, if we're maybe telling a, a half truth or a whole lie or whatever, um, they were very scared. They were very scared to make a swear statement or to take any kind of oath if it involved God's name, if they knew they weren't being honest or truthful. Okay, so again, they would swear by my head, heaven, earth, but they would never say, I swear to God, I didn't do this, right? I swear to God, I'm telling the truth. Here's why they refused to do that. Because they knew if they were lying, they believed that they were lying and they brought God's name into their lie. They believed that things were gonna go really, really badly for them, Right? Here's Jesus's point in these verses. Jesus is simply looking at these people and saying, hey guys, it, it doesn't really matter what you swear by to try and convince people that you're telling the truth. He said, anything you swear by belongs to God. And telling the truth is so important that, that it doesn't matter what name you attach or what thing you swear by, what you should make a habit of is just telling the truth. It doesn't matter whose name you bring in. Listen, here's what's going on. And I've said this every week. I'm gonna say it again tonight. Jesus is trying to get at something. And he's trying to get past these people's outward behavior. And he's trying to get at their what? Their heart. Jesus himself says in Matthew 12, 34, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right, So what comes out of my, ha my mouth is always going to be a reflection of what's in my heart according to Jesus. So when Jesus is teaching here, um, and we keep that in mind, 
It's almost like Jesus is looking and going, hey, guys, if you can't tell the truth, if you have a problem with lying, it doesn't matter if you bring an oath. It doesn't matter if you swear by something. If you can't say truthful things, something's wrong with your heart. Like something's bad inside. Because if you can't speak honest, truthful things, remember, that's just a reflection of how your heart looks. Jesus is trying to press into these people to show them that there's something wrong, even though their outward behavior might make it look like everything in their life is going just okay. So here's how Jesus responds. He goes, here's what I want you to do in light of all this. Quit taking oaths. That's what Jesus says. Quit making swear statements. How about that? Jesus goes, I hear you swearing all this stuff. How about this? Stop doing it. Don't take oaths anymore. Don't make any more swear statements. That's what I want you to do. Now, Jesus, and and I want to clarify before we go on, he wasn't making this blanket statement about oaths because, and I say that for this reason, because like you turn 18, you end up in court tomorrow, right? You testify and take this oath. My youth pastor told me not to take any oaths, man. Jesus said, no, that's not what Jesus is trying to get at, Okay. You go back through the Old Testament, the New Testament, you see godly people, even God himself, making oaths. But Jesus is trying to get at something deeper and bigger here. And here's what he's trying to get at. And here's what we need to take away from this passage tonight. Jesus is teaching that as his followers, we should be people of such character and such integrity that when something comes out of our mouths, people believe what we have to say without us ever having to take an oath or ever having to make a swear statement. Jesus is teaching us here in this passage that we need to be people who live our lives in such a way that when we say something, no one ever questions whether or not it's true. So here's my question for you tonight, high schoolers. How are you doing with this? How are you doing with this? Like when you open your mouth, Do people listen to what you have to say and just immediately raise questions, red flags? I don't know. Or when you open your mouth as a high school student, do your words carry weight with the people around you because of the way you live your life? How would you answer that question? Let me ask it this way. Are you a person of integrity? Are you a person of integrity? And if you go, well, James, I don't really know how to answer that question. Let me read you a definition of integrity so you can better answer that question. Here's integrity. Integrity is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. So as a high school kid, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, does that describe you? Are you honest? Do you have strong moral principles? Are you morally upright? I want to do something with you, okay? Play along and don't say anybody's names out loud, but just think about this, okay? I want you to think about a person right now in your life who every time they say something, you say to yourself, that's dumb, I don't believe them. Right? You guys got those people, right? I've got those people in my life. Every time I'm around them, it's like, oh, here we go again. Let's see what kind of stuff they're going to say today. Right? Or they tell you a story and it's so insanely ridiculous and you go, that kid's such a liar. Right? Like think about that person in your life right now who you could point to and go, that's that guy for me. If you can't think of anybody, you're the person. You're the person. (laughs) 
that we're thinking about, okay? Okay, look, look at me. Here's what I would bet. Here's what I would bet. I would bet you that the reason you feel that way about that person is because that person has a history of dishonesty. And when it comes to moral principles, they don't really have many if they have any at all. I would think that that's probably a pretty safe assumption. Now, let's do something else. Who's a person in your life when they speak, you never question what they say? Like a, that person, man, when something comes out of their mouths or they tell you something, like your first reaction is, that's true, and I believe that. I don't have any reason to question them. I believe what they say. Again, my assumption and my bet would be this. I bet that person in your life, I bet they have a history of being honest. And I bet when it comes to moral principles, they're fantastic people, right? They're very upright people. I think that that would probably be a safe assumption. Listen, reckless students, here's my prayer for this ministry. My prayer for this ministry is that it would be full of students who fall into this latter category rather than the former. My prayer for this ministry is that it would be full of students who are defined by such character and such integrity that when we walk out the walls of this place and we open our mouths, nobody ever questions whether or not we are telling them the truth. That's my prayer for this ministry. So I want to raise a couple of questions in light of this topic tonight. Here are the two questions we're going to address over the next few minutes before we're done. Question number one is this. Why is it so important for you as a follower of Jesus to be a person of integrity? Why is it so important? Second question we're going to talk about is this. How can you as a teenager right now be a person of integrity? So, So let's talk about the first one. Why is it so important? Here's why I would say it's so important to be a person of integrity. Because just like we learned from our story, the boy who cried wolf earlier, nobody believes liars even when they're telling the truth. Listen to me, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a message that is true. And the message is this, is that we serve and we love and we worship a God who loves lost, sinful, spiritually dead, hopeless, broken, down and out people. And he loves those people so much that 2,000 years ago, he wrapped himself in human flesh and came to this earth as a man named Jesus. And he lived a sinless and a perfect life. And at the end of his life, he went to the cross and he laid down his life. He became my sin. He became your sin. And he took my punishment, my judgment, my anger from God for being a sinful person so that I could be loved by God, I could be accepted by God and so that I could have eternal life. This is the message that we have to carry to the world as followers of Jesus Christ. It is a true message. Our God loves sinful people and he wants to rescue them. And the way he came to rescue them is through Jesus. That's the message that we have to carry to the world. Now here's the problem in some of our lives. Some of us here tonight say that we believe all that's true, yet the way we live our lives don't say that we believe that's true. 
Like we will open our mouths and we'll say all day, I believe in Jesus. I believe he loves lost people. I believe he came to die on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose from the grave so that I could have eternal life. I prayed a prayer once when I was six. I've been doing the church thing my whole life. You say you believe it, but some of us walk out of the doors of this place and we live our lives very contrary to that message. Here's the deal. Even though that message is true, Nobody believes what you have to say because you're a liar and nobody believes the truth from a liar, right? But this is what we got to take away. Why is it so important for us to be people of integrity? Because there is a world outside the walls of this place who needs Jesus and who needs his hope. And if they cannot look at our lives and believe what we have to say is true, then something is wrong. Something's wrong. Guys, this is so critical. We have got to be people of integrity because the way we live our lives as followers of Jesus has the ability to impact what people believe about him. We have to be people of integrity. Listen, how many times throughout each day do you stop and think about the fact that the kids you walk the hallways of your school with are one day going to stand face to face with the creator they're going to stand face to face with God and they're going to answer for their lives. And if they don't know Jesus, those students will spend eternity separated from God in a very real place called hell. How many times do you think about that during the day? Guys, do your lost friends not deserve you to be a person of integrity? Do you not owe it to those students to walk the halls of your school every day and to live your life in such a way that the message you had to share with them is believable? Because I think you owe it to them. I think we all owe it to them. We owe it to the world to walk out of this room and to be people whose lives match up with our mouths. Guys, it is critical for us to be people of integrity. Your lost friends need you to be a person of integrity, not a hypocrite. Guys, listen to me. You stand before God one day with your lost friend who you never spoke into their lives or they couldn't believe what you had to say because of the way you lived your life. There's just no going back at that point, man. We gotta take this seriously. We gotta be people of integrity. Eternity, eternity for people is on the line here. We gotta walk out of this place and our lives need to match up with our mouths. Here's question number two. How can you as a teenager be that person? Right now, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. How can you be a person of integrity? First and foremost, and, and I can't, say how important this is. This is everything. First and foremost, you have to know Jesus. You have to know Jesus. You cannot walk out of this place without Jesus and be a person of integrity. And I'll tell you why. Because as we've already said, being truthful, that's a condition of what? That, that, it depends on what? It depends on our heart, Right? Out of, out of our mouths come the abundance of the heart. If we're going to be truthful people, then something's got to be right with our hearts. Here's the bad news. According to this book, 
we've got bad hearts. Without Jesus, our hearts are very bad, okay? Jeremiah the prophet says it best in Jeremiah 17. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Desperately sick, deceitful above all things. The reference to the heart here in this passage, it's referring to a person's emotions and a person's will, a person's ability to reason, think, make decisions. Everything that determines whether or not you're a person of integrity. What every single one of us in this room need more than anything else in life is for our heart to be made well. That's what we need. And and guess who does that for us? Jesus, and he's the only one that can take bad hearts and make them well again. Like I said earlier, listen, Jesus came into this world to save sinful people because he loves them. He came into this world to offer forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, your pursuit of integrity has to start with a relationship with him. You cannot... You cannot walk through this life and be a person of character and integrity without him. Being moral and being morally upright and being honest and truthful and all those things, he's the only one that can pull that off in your life. That's where it's got to start. Um, For those of us that know Jesus, here's here's how. Here's how, and this is going to sound so simple, but please hang in there. How can you be a person of integrity? Just love Jesus. Just love him. Above everything else in life, just love Jesus. Love Jesus and do what he says. That's how you can be a person of integrity. Listen, Jesus himself says this in John chapter 14. He says, if you love me, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. So Jesus goes, awesome that you say you love me. I want you to love me. Okay, do what I say. That's how I know you love me. If you are here tonight and you say you know Jesus, you have got to get to a place where you actually love Jesus and you do what Jesus says to do if you want your mouth and your life to match up. Can I tell you um, what I think one of our biggest problems is? And as a high school kid, this is why I found it so hard to be um, a person of integrity. Here's why I think some of us in the room struggle who say we know Jesus and then live our lives like we don't. I, I think it's because for some of us, God's love has never really changed us. I think that we probably at some level, right? Like we've prayed a prayer, We believe true things about Jesus. We want to go to heaven when we die. Like we get all that, right? We're even here doing the church thing. We're in a small group, go to growth groups, go to Rush, sign up for Nicaragua. Um, We do all those things. But at the end of the day, we still question whether or not he really loves us. Like maybe you're here tonight because you don't think he loves you and you need to prove to him that you do. Or, or, Or I'm sorry, you don't think he loves you, but you need to prove to him that you're trying so that he will. Right? Like, God, I'm going to go to Nicaragua because I want to prove myself to you. I'm going to sign up for a growth. I'm going to come. And I haven't come to growth groups. I'm going to come on Sunday, God, because I want to please you. Guys, can I tell you where this pursuit leaves you? 
this pursuit of, I don't really know if God loves me, but I'm going to try my hardest to make sure that I give him a reason to. Can I tell you where that leaves you? It leaves you tired. It leaves you frustrated. It leaves you at the end of the day, probably giving up on God. And here's why, because you have failed to see God as a merciful father who loves you as his kid. And you started to see God as a merciless tax master who is just yelling at you that you need to do more. Listen to me, God, I preach this all the time. He loves you. And when his love and grace gets a hold of your heart, it changes you. And you become a person of integrity, a person who lives their life like they actually believe what they say they believe. I asked you this question two weeks ago when I spoke um, on sex. And I'm going to bring it up again. Because some of you weren't here, and even for some of you guys that were here, maybe you didn't get this that night. Here's my question again. Do you believe that God loves you and wants the best for you? Do you believe that God loves you and he wants the best for you? Again, look at me, students. If you believe that, it changes everything. If you believe that about God, it changes everything. If you're here tonight and you believe that God doesn't really like you, you've done too many bad things and your job is to be really good so that you can prove yourself to God, again, you're going to quit. You're going to give up. Like you're not pursuing Jesus. Like I've said, week after week after week, you're caught up in religion. You don't have anything to prove to God, right? Jesus proves us to God. If you're here tonight and you really believe that God loves you and wants the best for you, it changes everything about you. When you really believe that God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son into the world to be payment for your sins so that you could believe in him and not perish but have everlasting life, that changes you. When you pick up this book and you read it and you don't see it as a list of tasks that God just wants you to do so that you can keep him off your back, but you pick this book up and you read it and you go, God loves me so much. And he set life up in a way where if I live life that way, man, it's going to work out best for me and it's going to glorify him most. It changes everything. Guys, you don't have anything to prove to him. You don't have anything to prove. He loves you. And he wants the best for you. Do you believe that? Guys, l- listen to me. If you are going to live your life like you know and love Jesus, you've got to actually believe that Jesus loves you. Integrity begins and ends at the feet of Jesus. That's where it begins and ends. Listen to me, guys. When your life and your mouth start matching up, guess what starts happening? people actually start believing what you have to share about Jesus because they start seeing how much your life has been changed by his love and his grace and his goodness. You become a person of integrity because of the grace and love that God's shown you, not because you just walk out of the room and decide you're gonna try really hard to be really good. Integrity begins and ends at the feet of Jesus. Um, There's a song that I grew up singing in church, and it's one of my favorite hymns to this day. Um, we sang it this past Sunday night at our worship night here at Westridge, and it's called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. 
As a, uh, as a high school kid, I used to sing that song, and I never really paid attention to the lyrics. And as I got older, I started paying attention, and I started getting it, right? When I actually started loving Jesus. This song, it goes like this. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And here's what it goes on to say, and this is the key. You, you can't miss this. It says, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So it's this picture of a people fixing their eyes on Jesus and they see how good he is and how loving he is and how gracious he is and how merciful he is. And they fix their eyes on him so intensely that everything else in the world around him or around them starts to pale in comparison to just how amazing and good Jesus really is. Listen, I I said this already but I'm going to say it a different way. If you want to be a person of integrity, a person whose life matches up with your mouth, you've got to fix your eyes on him. Every day, you got to wake up in the morning and fix your eyes on Jesus. You need to wake up in the morning and you need to remind yourself about what Jesus has done for you. You need to get in your car and take out the crap that some of you guys listen to and throw in some of these songs we sing on Wednesday night and be reminded all the way to school that I am loved by God. I am loved by God. Jesus paid for my sins. He's given me eternal life. You need to remind yourself of that. Some of you, man, you need to get out this book. Get out this book. Put away the twilights for five minutes, right? Get out this book and read it and be reminded of how good Jesus is. Fix your eyes on him. And guys, here's what I'm gonna tell you. You start fixing your eyes on Jesus every day. You start thinking on how good he is. You know what'll happen all the dumb crap in the world around you that doesn't matter any, like really at all, you're going to see that stuff and you're going to go, ah, this is stupid. He is so much better than this. The, The dumb drama at school, right? Fighting over boyfriends and girlfriends. Listen to me, fix your eyes on Jesus. You know what will happen? you look at those other people that do that and go, God, I'm so glad I have him. Right? I mean, the stuff that you deal with on Facebook, I bring this up all the time just because it's funny. Um, The dumb stuff you guys post, man. And not just you guys, people my age post dumb stuff all the time. Facebook is unbelievable. Um, Fix your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on him. You know what you'll be less inclined to do? post stupid stuff about someone else that annoys you. Because what you're going to do is go, that pales in comparison to who he is. He's so good. I got all I need. I don't need to be threatened by anybody. I don't need to talk bad about anybody. I have all I need. Jesus. Guys, there's so much riding on the people in this room, walking out of this room and being people of integrity whose mouths match up with your lives. Guys, give the world around you, no reason to question whether or not you're telling the truth. 
I want to pray for us. Let's bow our heads. Tonight, um, here's what I want to do first and foremost. For those of you that might be in the room and you don't know Jesus, and I make the comment, you know, you're never going to truly be a person of integrity or character without Jesus. It's just, it's impossible. Not because you're a bad person or you're not trying really hard. Like I said earlier, man, every single one of us, because we're sinful people, we have bad hearts and we need something to change our heart. And the only one that can change our heart is Jesus. If you don't know Jesus tonight, if you've never entered into a relationship with him, your sins have never been forgiven by God. Tonight, you've never asked God to save you, to to forgive you of sin, to accept you, to give you eternal life. I want to invite you to do that right now in this moment. There's no magical prayer that saves anybody, but the Bible does teach that there are some things you need to believe and be willing to confess. And tonight, you need to be willing to believe and confess that Jesus is who he said he is, and he came to do what he said he came to do. You need to believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he lived a sinless, perfect life and that he died on the cross in place of you and he did that to pay for your sins. You gotta believe tonight that Jesus, after he died on that cross to pay for your sins, to take your punishment from God for being a sinful person, that three days later he rose from the grave and he did that and he conquered sin and he conquered death and he conquered hell so that he could give eternal life to anybody who would come ask. You gotta be willing tonight to believe and to confess those things and just in the quietness of your heart, you can confess those things to God. God, I believe that's true. I believe Jesus is the son of God. He died for my sins. God, save me and give me eternal life. God, I believe that Jesus is alive today. The Bible says, man, you confess, you believe that God saves you. He gives you a new heart. He changes you. He makes you a new creation. And the Bible teaches that he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you so that you can have the power and the ability to live the life he's called you to live, a life of integrity, a life where your mouth matches up with the way that you live. If you're here tonight and you placed your faith in Jesus for the first time, maybe Tonight's the first time you believe and confess that to God. I want to be able to pray for you. And, and I'm going to ask you just right now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you, if you did that tonight, made that decision tonight, will you just raise your hand right where you sit in your seat? Just raise it up. I just want to pray for you. I see a hand in the back. Is there anybody else? God, I just want to thank you so much for this person tonight, God, who prayed to place their faith in Jesus Christ as their savior. God, tonight I pray that you start to transform them, God. God, we celebrate that there is a new person now in the kingdom and the family of God, a person, God, whose eternity is changed in this place tonight. God, we give you praise for that. For the rest of us, let's do whatever we have to do tonight to leave this place and to have our mouths match up with our lives, to tell the truth, not only by what we say, but by how we live. Tonight, I want us to fix our eyes on Jesus and on him alone. Let's think on his goodness, think on his grace, think on his love. If we need to confess and repent sin in our life, then do that tonight. 
Whatever you've got to do to walk out of this place captivated by the love of Jesus. Let's do that. Father, we turn our eyes on your beautiful son tonight. God, we thank you for his great love for us. God, work in our hearts and our lives in this place. We pray this in your name. Amen.